0: He says, instead, what? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Because if you want experience, if you want, I hate to use this phrase again, this altered state, if you will, this this thing which is not typical, be filled with the Spirit. You see, no amount of the Holy Spirit will lead to debauchery. Rather, people filled with the Spirit are filled with joy. There isn't no a single person around who, if, if, if you think about it, wouldn't want to be full of joy. I just, I just want, to, I want to wake up in the morning and be joyful, not miserable. People filled with the Spirit are people who are full of thanksgiving to the Lord because they acknowledge Him. They they know that every good gift comes from His hand. They know that He has ordained everything in their life and they trust Him. Even the challenges, even the trials, even the difficulties, God has ordained these things. I don't know how all that works. None of us do. None of the greatest theologian can figure all that out. But nonetheless, that's the reality. And we bow before him and we thank him and we thank him for all of his good works in our life. For his good purpose in our life. Amen? So a person full of the Holy Spirit, how do you know? Because you're full of joy. Because you're full of thanks to him. A person full of the Holy Spirit is ready to submit in love to him. But not only to him, but to other members of the Christian body. We're ready to. Now, all you have to do is read from verse 18 on. You read the succeeding verses, and you see that the outworking of all of, of the, the realities of being full of the Spirit reflect these kinds of things. People singing, singing to the Lord, making, making music to him in their heart. Does that sound like having a joyous heart? Does that sound like a thankful heart? Sure. You see all the relationships spelled out and the the relationships uh, marked by a a submission, a mutual submission, loving submission. Why? Out of reverence for him. We're submitted to him, so we submit to one another. We said last time that the grammatical expression uh, be filled is literally from the Greek... Be being kept filled. It's a command that includes the idea of conscious continuation. I'm continuing consciously to be filled. I'm continuing consciously aware of my need to be filled and of his presence in my life. Now, we continue consciously with lots of things, don't we? Like if you have a troubling relationship in your life, you got kids that are giving you problems, or you know, your marriage isn't what it ought to be, and and or, or your job is on the line, or all these things, these things are always on your mind, isn't that true? So you continue consciously, the same idea is here that we continue consciously to be aware of the spirit in our life and our need for him and our need to be full of him. And it's a command. It's in the continuous voice, so it's a continuous kind of thing. It's it's a, it's a continuous present tense in the Greek. It's in the imperative mood. That's the mood of command. It's in the passive voice, meaning that something that happens to us. We don't fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. God fills us. It's something that happens to us, as opposed to being in the active voice, something that we do. So it's a a very interesting construction, grammatically, and it tells you much about the principle and about the truth that Paul is expressing. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not an option for you and I as believers. It is a mandate. More than that, it is an absolute necessity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely necessary. Why is it necessary? Because no Christian can fulfill God's will for his or her life apart from being filled with his spirit. No Christian can even know his will for your life apart from being filled with his spirit. How many people would really like to know God's will for your life? And, I, and I'm not talking just in the general sense of don't sin and you know, honor God and tithe and you know, don't lie and all that stuff. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the particulars. Where should I live? How many kids should we have? Where do, who should I marry? Uh, you know, what should I do for my life's work? Uh, what's my ministry? How's my, All these other questions that, that for, for many, many Christians they're clueless about and they're just taking a stab in the dark, God means for us to know particularly what his will is. But I submit to you that we will not know those things unless we are first filled with his spirit. And on top of that, we'll not even be able to do those things even if you know them unless you're full of his spirit. That's why it's imperative, absolutely imperative, to be full of his spirit. Beloved, if you and I do not obey this first command, we cannot obey any other command of God. It's that simple. You cannot do anything of God's will apart from his spirit and apart from his power. How many husbands do we have? Do you know you cannot love your wife as Christ loved the church unless the Spirit of God is empowering you and enabling you to do that? You may say you want to, but down deep inside, you will not. Wives, what's the, what's the S word? How many it's your absolute delight to submit to your husband? Even when he's being unreasonable. You don't even have to grin, grin, tighten your jaw and do it. You can't, won't, unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I promise you, you may go through the motions and do it, but down deep inside, there's going to be a grinding. There's going to be a root of bitterness set in. You're not going to be joyful about it. You may know you should be. You may work hard to try to be but i promise you you will not be and it's just going to wear on you and wear on you and at some point you're going to snap and your husband who thought he was doing such a good job will go what's the matter with you? <laughs> if we don't obey this command to be being kept filled with the holy spirit we can't obey any other command of god You're just going through the motions. It's all wood, hand, stubble. It'll all be burned up on the day of judgment. There is no more practical, no more necessary command in all of Scripture than this one for believers to be being kept filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that important to know? I mean, let that just grab you. There is no more significant, important, necessary command in all of Scripture for us to embrace. This is fundamental. Nothing else is going to make any difference unless you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit on an ongoing basis. You say, well, don't I have the Holy Spirit? Yes, every Christian, if you're truly a born-again Christian, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You've even been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul uses that language. But unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will live in spiritual weakness, spiritual retardation, spiritual frustration, and ultimately spiritual defeat. That's just the reality of things. It takes God's grace, God's power, God's spirit living in us to live the Christian life. We're not just religious people. We're different. And it takes God's power in us to live this life. This continuous aspect of being kept filled involves a moment by moment submission. What does it involve? Moment by moment submission to the Spirit's influence and to the Spirit's control. It's one thing to be, to be uh, uh, submitted to His influence, okay, you can influence me, but it's a whole other thing to be submitted to His control, isn't it? I may let you have influence over me, but I may not let you control me. I may let you have input into my thought process, but to let you control me is a whole other story, isn't it? But this is a moment by moment submission to His influence and to His control. Beloved, the Holy Spirit works only through our conscious, willing submission. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus summed it all up in the garden, didn't he? After wrestling with this himself. After saying three times, can we do this another way? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Conscious, willing submission. Moment by moment by moment. Right? Christianity... Is not just another philosophy. Christianity is not just another point of view. Christianity is not just another amongst equal religions. Christianity is absolutely unique. Christianity is a life to be lived. Write that down. It's not in your notes. Christianity is a life to be lived. What does that mean? It means a new life. A whole new life. Christians have been born again. They are new creations. The old things have passed away. Whole new life. Whole new existence. When I became a Christian uh, back in 1977, I I was raised religious my whole life. I knew some of the doctrines, at least I thought I knew them. I didn't understand them. I didn't really depend on them. I wasn't born again. But when I became born again, my life changed. My life changed. I was excited about church. I mean if you can believe that. I grew up being dragged to church. I grew up I grew up trying to be spiritual. I would go to confession every Saturday. Earnestly confess my sins. Go pray my penance. Walk out of the church and feel clean and fresh. But thinking, "Oh man, I got to just isolate myself until Sunday morning when I have communion." Some of you Catholics understand what I'm talking about. I was never really free. And it was always the same old sin, same old sins. Father was been a week since my last confession. I did it again. When I became a Christian, my life changed. When I was 18 years old, I moved out of my parents' house and I moved out of the church. I'd had enough. The church was irrelevant I had enough condemnation and judgment and all that stuff that I perceived. Nuns and the priests had told me I was going to hell. I thought if I'm going to hell, I'm going to go and deserve it. <laughs> I'm, really going to, I'm not just going to go to hell for some little sins. I'm going to go and do big sins. And I did. I lived a very licentious life for the next 12, 15 years until God got me. I couldn't stand church. I was bored with it. My mom says, go to church. Ah. When I got born again, man, I couldn't you couldn't get me out of here. I was in this building every time the doors were open. I was one of the last ones to leave. I couldn't get enough fellowship. We didn't have many church back then, but there we had some Bible studies, and I got involved in some Bible studies and met some wonderful people who who were really instrumental in the in the the, the marking of my life in those early days. I was a new creature. I went to my friends and my family. I said, I'm born again. I a born again. I was excited. They said, we're happy for you. <laughs> happy you found somebody who works for you. Leave us alone. I was undaunted. Managed to alienate them all. although one one very dear friend one day took me off on the side he says i don't i don't know what all this born again stuff is and but i i do know something you are different and i like you better that's the best thing he could have said to me new creation a brand new life and this new life is is to be altogether different from the old life. This is what Paul tells the Ephesians. There was nothing more characteristic of the old life which the Ephesians had been living and their contemporaries were still living than drunkenness and debauchery. A debauched life, think about this. How would you describe a debauched life? A debauched life is... An uncontrolled life, isn't it? It's an uncontrolled life. It is a wasteful life. It's a wasted life. It's a depressing life. It's an exhausted life. It's a negative life. It's an empty life. A debauched life. But the Christian life... By contrast, the Christian life is is a life full of the Holy Spirit, is a controlled life. It's not out of control. It's an ordered life. It's a life that commands respect because of that. The Christian life is a productive life. The Christian life full of the Spirit is a life that preserves, conserves and increases everything that is best in a person. The life full of the Holy Spirit is a stimulating life. It's an exhilarating life. It is a thrilling life, I promise you. Right after I got saved, I had witnessed a bunch of my friends and a bunch of the guys had gotten together and they used to hang out with, and they invited me to come to a party, and the party was centered on the theme of uh, the Fiesta de San Fermín in Pamplona, Spain, where we run with the bulls, and a number of us had done that for a couple of years. We went to Pamplona, ran with the bulls, and did that stupidity, almost got killed. (laughs) I don't know why we do these things. But you see, Every succeeding year in Manhattan Beach, there was a crew of guys who, it was only the men who were allowed to run, by the way, and a uh, crew of guys it, that if you didn't go to Pamplona each year to run with the bulls, specifically to do that, then there was always a party or two in Manhattan Beach to celebrate it. So, so these guys got together, hey, so-and-so's going to be there, and so-and-so's going to be there, and they knew I was a Christian now, and they knew that I didn't drink and party and, and do all that stuff, but they wanted me to come anyway, and they had, weren't going to sabotage me, they were going to just try to really get to me. And so I agreed. I said, okay, I'll go. I thought, Lord, I'm going to witness to somebody. Unbeknownst to me, they had set up a little trap for me with a young woman. So I'm at this party, and I'm drinking my (laughs) 7-Up. And I'm just kind of standing there, minding my own business. This girl comes up and starts talking to me. So we chat for a little bit, and... She says to me, gets real close, she says, can I ask you a question? I'm like, oh. (laughs) Lord, all right, Lord. I mean, a real profound, right? She says, what sign are you? (laughs) I thought, where am I going to go with this? Lord, help! Instantly. I said this. I'm Ichthus. She says, you're what? I said, I'm Ichthus. Ichthus? What's Ichthus? I said, it's the fish. She said, no, 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 no. The fish is Pisces. I said, no, 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 no. The fish is Ichthus. She says, what do you mean by that? And so I drew the little sign of the fish, right? And the word ichthus is the Greek word for fish. And the letters stand for Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Many of you are familiar with that? You should all be familiar with it, actually. So I said to her, I said, I'm a born again Christian. And I promise you her response was, Oh, how boring. (laughs) And I said, Honey, let me tell you something. You don't know, you don't know an exciting life until you become a Christian. Until you commit your life to Jesus Christ, until you learn what it means to live on the knife edge of faith, moment by moment. You don't know what an exciting life. Christian life? Boring? Eh. <laughs> I'm sorry, it is not anything but boring. Amen? Amen? I mean, you wake up in the morning and say, okay. Okay, let's go, God. (laughs) Thrilling. Exhilarating. You can't live a more exciting life than the life of faith. You do not know what he's going to call you for. You do not know what he's going to do in your life. You do not know in the particulars. You are available, anticipating, excited, hopeful, waiting on him. The Christian life is a happy life. It's a genuinely happy life. It's a life filled with joy. It's a life that enables us to be happy and joyful even in the midst of trials. Why? Because we know the one who is our Lord. We know that he's sovereign. We know that nothing happens in our life that he hasn't already ordained. Yes, there are deep trials, deep things that affect us, challenges that sometimes, most of the time, are beyond our own human capacity to function and deal with. But his grace, he says, is always sufficient. And we can know his joy in the midst of these things. But it depends upon our orientation, doesn't it? It depends upon our orientation. The Christian life is a social life, it's a hospitable life. The Christian life is a communal life. If you're a Christian, you, you love the body, you love one another. That's what the Bible tells us. John says you cannot, you cannot be a Christian if you don't love the brothers. Now, well, sometimes the brothers can be a pain. You know, sometimes you shake your head and roll your eyes, but the reality is you love the brothers and the sisters. He says, this is how we know we've passed from death to life. We have love for the brothers. If you have not loved, you've not passed from death to life. You're still in death. You're still lost. You're still hopeless. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Beloved, when Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit... When Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have love. We have a genuine interest in one another. We have a compassion and a desire to help. We are there. I can't tell you how many testimonies of, 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 of ministry and, and things that have gone on in the many churches over the years where people were in desperate need and the many churches surrounded them and helped them and taken up offerings and, 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 and just done marvelous things. Can we do more? Absolutely. Can always do more, huh? Christians are all together. The Bible calls us, it says we are one. We're, We're one body, one family, one community. We're together. We're together in a great and glorious spirit of fellowship, praising the Lord and anticipating what is yet in store for us. What a glorious life. What a glorious existence. The, the, the early church is described in the second chapter, of the book of Acts, how they met together daily in their homes and in the temple courts, and they broke bread together, and they praised God together, and they celebrated together and enjoyed fellowship with each other. It's a new family. It's a new life. Over the years, I've talked to lots of people who come in our church, and They've had no family, nobody, and they come become a Christian, and they, and they, they begin to become involved, and, and, and now they have a family. What a wonderful thing. You say, well, can't people do that in any environment? No, not like in the church. Well, if, that means what it, if that's what it means to become a Christian, to be a Christian, that kind of life, If that's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit, then the question arises how does one get full of the Holy Spirit? Okay, you've you've given me the sizzle, now give me the goods. How do I get there? Now, first of all, you have to remember this is a command, it's not an option. It's a command, it's a necessity to be being kept filled, or literally to continue to be under the influence and the willing submission control of the Holy Spirit. That means that the whole of our personality, our mind, our heart, our will, is under his influence. It's also important to know that this is not some critical experience, not some one-time critical second blessing kind of thing. This is a state or a condition in which we are to live always and permanently. There is, this is, this is not some experience that we, that we wait for. This is not some experience that we pray for or that we long for. Many many will come from a Pentecostal charismatic background and, 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 and you have a, a waiting. And the model is the upper room. Go wait. So That's, that's not the model. The model is Ephesians 5.18. Be being kept filled. Not some critical experience that we wait for, pray for, long for. You have to realize that the Holy Spirit already resides in you. Does he not? If you are truly born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you already. Your body, Paul says, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. And if we don't remember that he lives in us, chances are we will not be filled or influenced by him. The old saying, out of sight, out of mind, right? This is what, this is what I'm talking about, this this. Conscious continuation. My part is to be conscious of my need for him and conscious of his presence in my life and consciously, willingly submitted to him and to his influence. More than that, I have to really desire him, desire fellowship with him. Isn't it true that there are people in our lives that we really want to be around, we really want to have fellowship with, then there are people, eh, not that important, you don't care. Well, he's the most important person. Is it a fair statement to say that that if I'm really born again, that I should want fellowship with him? I should desire fellowship with him. But it also involves confession of, of sin and certainly repentance. So if there is some some harmful way in us, some hidden way in us. What did David say? Lord, search my heart and show me if there's any hidden way, sinful way in me. Why? That I may confess it and repent of it. Why? Because I don't want anything to get between us. It's just like any relationship. If there's, if there's some sin in my life that hinders my fellowship with my wife, I have to confess that and get that out of the way if we're to have fellowship. If we're to be together. That's true of any relationship. But more particularly, it's necessary for a relationship with God. It involves the surrender of my mind, the surrender of my will, the surrender of my body. Paul says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. It requires a surrender of my time, my talents, my possessions, my desires. All of us have a way to go, don't we? But this is is what God's calling us to. Come on, Surrender. Trust me. Some of us come with rounded heels. Other us are drug in this way. Willing submission. To be filled with the Holy Spirit requires simply death of selfishness. It requires a slaying of self-will. You see, when we die to self... The Lord fills us. Not my will, but yours be done. You can say those words and not mean them. But when you say them and you mean them, you really mean them, something changes in you. Isn't that true? There's a freedom, there's a release, there's a peace, there's a joy, there's a surrender. John the Baptist, I think, said it so well, so concisely. John the Evangelist records his words in his gospel, chapter 3, verse 30, speaking of Jesus. He must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become... He must become greater, I must become... He must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, come on, say it with me. He must become greater, I must become less. Can that be our testimony? Every moment of every day. See, this is the moment-by-moment conscious, continuing attitude of my life. He must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. Lord, I want you to become greater in my life. I'm going to surrender more and more. Oh, Lord, show me. Show me an area that's not yet surrendered. Paul puts it this way in uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And And these are marvelous words. He says... I have been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Does that sound something like he must become greater? I must become less. I no longer live. This life that I live in the body, I live by faith in, in the Son of God, who what? Who loved me and gave himself He must become greater, I must become less. Unless that is your, pardon this word, mantra, (laughs) unless that is your understanding, unless that is your attitude, unless that is your commitment, you'll never know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can know doctrine. You can read your Bible. But none of that is going to matter, really, really. Paul gives us another command in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you meagerly. And that verse is followed by a succession of commands. If you look at the text and you read the text, and those commands in Colossians chapter 3, the next 9-10 verses, amazingly parallel the same commands in the fifth chapter of Ephesians that follow verse 18. What am I suggesting? That be being kept filled with the Spirit is synonymous with what? One other thing, what? Letting the... Word of God, dwell in us. Oh, you're beautiful. You got it. (laughs) On your own, you go read Ephesians chapter 5. Then you go read Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 16 in Colossians and starting at verse 18 in in Ephesians chapter 5. And you see if, if there isn't a terrific parallel between the succeeding commands after those two verses. Those are key verses. Which can lead you to this conclusion that being full of the Holy Spirit is synonymous with what? Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. To be filled with God's Spirit, in effect, then, is to be filled with His Word. Why? Because it's the Word of the Spirit. And as we're filled with God's Word, God's Word begins to what? It begins to affect how we think. It begins to control our thinking. And as our thinking is, so is our behavior, so is our action. Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so is he. And we thereby become more and more under the Spirit's influence and control. Again, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul writes this. Be changed, be transformed, be metamorphosized. That's the real Greek word. Be metamorphosized by the what? Renewing of your, your noose, your mind. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Peter is a great example of this. Peter's strength lay in one thing. What do you think Peter's strength lay in? What's the one thing his strength lay in? Was it? In the scripture? Uh, yes and no. Even more general than that. Peter's strength lay in his always seeking to be near, guess Who? Jesus. Where did Peter's strength lay? In his always seeking to be near Jesus. Peter got in trouble when? When he got away from Jesus. When he stayed near Jesus, He did miraculous things, he said miraculous things, and he had a miraculous courage when his attention was on who? Jesus. Matthew chapter 14 is a great example. Matthew chapter 14 talks about Jesus after ministering, sends his disciples on ahead of him in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. Remember that? And they're out there on the boat on the, on the sea of Galilee, and at nighttime, uh, they see a figure walking toward them on the water. Who might that be? It was Jesus. And the disciples looked, and they said, who are you? And Jesus identifies himself, and Peter says, Lord, if that is really you, then command me to do what? Command me to get out of the boat. And so Jesus says what? Come on. Peter gets out of the boat, and he actually walks on the water. Now, I have a question for you. Don't you think this is a little bit fantastic? (sighs) Do you think that really happened? Are you serious? Yes. I suppose you believe in a literal Adam and Eve, too, don't you? Yes. You sure this isn't just some kind of metaphor for some spiritual truth? No. You think it's an actual historical event, that Peter actually got out of the boat and walked on the water? You really believe that? Yes. Good. <laughs> just checking. As long as Peter's attention was on Jesus, he what? Walked on the water. But as soon as his attention was diverted to himself, his condition, his circumstances, what happened? He sank. Matthew chapter 16, another incident. Jesus asked a couple questions, one of, of his, both of his disciples. He said, who do the people say that I am? You recall that? And the disciples answered back. They said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, And when he asks that question, who do you say that I am? Who is the first one that speaks up, do you think? Peter. Peter. Peter speaks up. He answered. And because of his attention on Jesus, because of his desire to be close to Jesus, because of his spirit and his mind focused on Jesus, I submit to you, Peter was used by God to make that great testimony to Jesus' Messiahship and his divine Sonship. Listen to Peter's words. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He could not make that testimony unless God enabled him to, and I submit to you that God enabled him to, he was full of the Spirit because he was so close to Jesus. Am I making sense here? But a short while later, just right after this, in that same chapter, verses 22 and 23, Peter leaned on his own understanding and then he didn't speak for God. He spoke for who? Satan. Jesus is telling his disciples of his impending death. He must be killed. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, out of my sight, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. What an indictment. One moment he's prophesying, one moment he's speaking by God's grace and his spirit and testifying to Jesus who he is in the next minute, Jesus says, You got your mind off the things of God, you got your mind on the things of men. Amazing, huh? When Jesus was betrayed in the garden and arrested, Peter courageously tried to defend Jesus. What did he do? He whipped out his sword. Courageously cut the ear off of the servant of the high priest. You see when he when he was near the Lord, he feared no one. But when a short while later he found himself separated from Jesus, he did not have the courage even to admit knowing Jesus. What am I suggesting? We need to be full of the Spirit. We need to draw close to Him. We need to desire. We need to be consciously aware of our need and consciously aware of Him. After Jesus died rose again and ascended to heaven, He, he sent His Holy Spirit to indwell His disciples as He had promised. book of Acts is the record of that. Peter found himself full of the Holy Spirit. Peter found himself, again, able to say and to do the miraculous and to have miraculous courage. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, chronicle those three things. Acts chapter 2, he preaches his very first sermon. He preaches his very first sermon and 3,000 men get saved. That doesn't count the women and the kids. 3,000 men get saved. That's an altar call first sermon right out of seminary <laughs> Acts chapter 3 he's, he and John are going to the temple to fellowship and to, and to worship and, and they, they see a man who was is, who is born crippled and the man is expecting alms from Peter and John and Peter looks at him and, and says silver and gold have I none but it what? But in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And the man is miraculously healed. In chapter 4 of the book of Acts, Peter and John are hauled before the Sanhedrin for the healing of this guy. They're put on trial, they're threatened. And Peter, when he is charged by the Sanhedrin to no longer speak in the name of Jesus publicly, He says, no, I've got to. I've got to speak of that which I've seen and heard, that which I know I can't shut up. Full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to live in consciousness of the personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ as if We were physically standing next to Him. And to let His thoughts dominate, in effect, and control our thoughts. It is to fill ourselves with His Word so that His thoughts will be our thoughts, so that His standards will be our standards. So that His work, our work. And His will, our will. Wow. Does that sound like submission? Does that sound like trust? Does that sound like commitment? That's what it means to be filled. And as we yield to His word, as we yield to His truth, His Spirit will lead us to think, to say, to do and to be what God wants. What has God created you for? What has he created you to be? Let me rephrase. Do you want to be all that God desires you to be? Do you want to be the person God made you to be? Do you want to be able to fulfill the great purpose God has designed you for? Or do you want to live a safe life, easy life? When you get to heaven, do you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or might you hear, away from me, I never knew you. Let me see. Which one do I want to hear? It requires, it requires a choice, doesn't it? God does not made us automatons. We're not robots. He, he doesn't just, you know. Although He's sovereign and He rules and He ordains and so forth, there's still this amazing capacity to exercise choice. As you yield to Him, you trust Him. You'll find yourself being transformed. Why? Because your mind is being renewed. You'll be changed. you find that you will be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And you will find that you will actually realize that God is at work in you to do his will. I think God's working in me. Oh, God's working in me. I'm so excited. God's at work in me. You'll realize it. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says that we should live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Now, Now, literally, if you go back to the Greek text, the literal translation is to walk worthily. Live a life, walk worthily. That's the literal word. Walking involves moving one step at a time. Isn't that true? I mean, there's no other way to walk except one step at a time. So if I am to walk worthily, I am to do so one thought at a time, one decision at a time. May I suggest you being filled with the Spirit is to do that very thing. It is to walk thought by thought, Decision by decision, act by act, under the Spirit's influence. That's worth taking home just in and of itself, isn't it? The Spirit-filled life simply yields every step to the Spirit of God. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul again says live, or literally walk by the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit... You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, he says, so that you do not do what you want. Paul says the same thing over in Romans chapter 7, doesn't he? He says, why do I not do what I want to do? Why do I do what I do not want to do? Now, that is not a cop-out, by the way. I've heard some Christians over the years use that as an excuse. Well, see, Paul couldn't do what he wanted to do. No, that's not a cop-out for sin. What is it that you think that Paul wanted to do? What is it that he wants? What do you want to do? What are the two great commandments? Love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love our neighbor as yourself. Jesus says all the commandments, all the law is wrapped up in those two commandments. The commandment of love, right? Is it a fair statement to say that Paul, Paul can say, why can't I love God with my whole heart and my neighbor as myself? Is there a battle going on there? He says, no longer I, but it's what? It's sin living in me, in my humanness, in my sarkonos, in my sinful, human, fleshly nature. He identifies the problem, just like he does over in Galatians here. There's a conflict between our fleshly nature and the Holy Spirit living in us. It's an ongoing conflict. This is like we're, we're, we're stuck in this prison, if you will. Not being able to do what we want to do. Our flesh that yet unredeemed part of our humanness that is exposed to an incline towards sin, our flesh is the beachhead of sin. Every one of us already know that. Even as Christians, as new creatures in Christ, our spiritual and moral Achilles heel is our flesh. The remnant of the old nature that seeks to drag us down from a life that's consistent with our heavenly citizenship. Paul, Paul says of it this way, he says, he, see, he says, I see a different law at the work in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members, in other words, my fleshly uh, nature. Beloved, the only way that we can and and will override that residual sinfulness, the only way that we're going to override our evil desires and the temptations of Satan is to function in the spirit. Not to be filled with the spirit is to fall back into the deeds of the sinful nature. Again, Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us clearly what the deeds of the sinful nature are. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. we do not have to consciously choose to do those acts, do we? (laughs) If we're not living under the power and control of the Holy Spirit and God's Word, these things just occur naturally in us. It's kind of like the law of entropy. You know the law of entropy? You just always tend to the lowest state. You can't get past that except that the Spirit enables you to stand up against those things. These are things that we do naturally. We just do naturally. And the flesh, if we depend on the flesh, the flesh is our only resource and we fail every time. Our sole defense against the negative power of temptation, sin, and the devil is the positive power of God's Spirit. This is why we must be being kept filled with the Holy Spirit. It is possible. It is possible. We have no power over these evils. To try to combat them in our own strength is to try to walk on water in our own power. It's impossible. We win spiritual victories only when God's Spirit does battle for us. Over and over and over. You read, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's his battle. Let him wage it. doesn't mean you just passively sit back and do nothing. It means that he's going to wage it in you and through you. He's going to win the battle. But he wants you to be actively participating with him in submission to him. Living by faith, trusting him. When we surrender to the Holy Spirit's influence, Paul says that we find God doing amazing things in us. Amazing things. Things which are entirely of His doing that you and I cannot do in and of ourselves. He calls these things the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first part of the fruit? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many, how many pieces are there to the fruit? Notice it's fruit singular. Many facets. Love. You're full of the Spirit, you find yourself more loving. How many would admit to saying, I need to be more loving? Or I need to be loving, Period. How many would like to have more joy in their life? <laughs> yeah, I mean, every hand ought to go up, right? How about peace? Jesus says, Paul says in different places in the New Testament, he says, be anxious for nothing. You know, here you are, you're freaked out, anxious over something, and your brother says, don't be anxious, come on. The Bible says don't be anxious for anything. <sighs> you don't want to kill him. <laughs> Shut up. I know what the Bible says. Don't tell me not to be anxious. I'm freaked out over this thing. That's a testimony that we're not full of the Spirit. You want to know the peace of God that will guard your mind and heart through these threatening events external to you. Be full of the Spirit. doesn't mean you're going to be oblivious. doesn't mean that you're not going to be aware. It just means simply that God's peace is going to guard you and you're not going to freak out. How many would like the next one? <laughs> How many moms do we have? I'm gonna kill these kids. <laughs> or my husband. <laughs> patience. I hear this I hear this a hundred times. I'm praying for more patience. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You aren't going to get it unless you're full of the Holy Ghost. You think automatically, well, because trials, God's going to train me through my trials. No, he's not. Unless you're full of the Holy Ghost, the trials are just going to beat you and beat you and beat you and beat you. You don't get any peace out of that stuff. He's going to come away more and more discouraged. You find yourself barely holding on by a thread. Patience. How many like to be kinder, genuinely kinder, kinder? A, be a kinder person. How about a gooder person? <laughs> a faithfuler person. Gentler. How about more self control? Man. The person who is spirit controlled. The person who is spirit controlled, who bears the Spirit's fruit, is, note this please, is the person who belongs to Christ. Let me say that one more time. The person who is spirit controlled, who bears the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is the person who belongs to Christ and who has crucified this sinful nature with its passions and desires. How do you know you're a Christian? You're bearing fruit. You're bearing fruit. Wow, well, I thought I just had to believe in Jesus. <laughs> Believing in Jesus is a much more complex thing than just saying the words. Well, it just says, say Jesus is my Lord. No, it's more than that. You must bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit... There's no way that you can call yourself a Christian. You can hang out with Christians. You can know the lingo. But if you're not an active participant in the body of Christ, contributing, bearing fruit, you cannot call yourself a Christian. That's what he says. If we live by the Spirit, in other words, if we are born again, born of the Spirit, Jesus says then he says, let us also walk or keep in step with the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is to fulfill the ultimate potential, the ultimate capacity of our life on earth as God's children. This is why it's the most important command in all of Scripture. This is why this is the most important message you'll ever hear from me. Be filled with the Spirit. Beloved, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Lots will come into your life to distract you. Bring that attention back. It's about him. It's not about us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly that you may be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. He said, this is your spiritual service of worship. Set your heart and mind on things above, not on things below. And Jesus' words here, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. Nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Well pastor, I thought you said one saved always saved. Now, I never said that. Don't ever lay that at my doorstep. Jesus said, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. He who bears fruit. Who shows that he or she is my disciple. Really. Not in name only. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Beloved, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Turn to your neighbor. Encourage them with those words right now. Would you do that? I've gone longer than I anticipated. But I have an excuse, we had a baby dedication. (laughs) We are going to take communion, so I, I beg your patience, and certainly this gives us an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Fathers, we approach your table. We thank you again for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit who lives in us.